Welcome. My name is Kelly Bearden. I'm a classical musician turned creative entrepreneur, and this is the best platform for musicians that are looking to shape their career by thinking outside the box. Natalie, I am so excited that we're here today. Thank you again for your time. I'm so happy to be here. Girl, I've been looking forward to this so much since we talked about started talking about this on Instagram like a month or two ago. Yeah. And then we obviously did the Revoice in the Future podcast recently too, but this is going to be a ton of fun. I'm um, so excited. You obviously have a very recent career change also. So I'm like pumped to talk about the new position and how you landed at Yamaha and how that kind of transition has gone so far. But before we get into present day, <laughs> as we always do, I'd love to like kick it way back to the beginning. When was your first experience or exposure with music? All that, all that fun stuff. Yeah. So, well, first off, thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. It's an honor. And I'm never really on this side of the microphone. So this is <laughs> fun <laughs> and scary. <laughs> no, not scary at all. You're going to be fabulous. I promise. No, it's going to be great. I'm excited. Um, yeah. So I was exposed to music literally at a very young age because mm. both of my parents are musicians. So, um, and my mother is a music educator herself. So she, um, I learned a lot from her and just how she teaches and everything. And then my dad also works on the business side of the industry and he's done a lot of different things, um, throughout his career. But, um, right now he's focused on advocating for music and arts education mm. nationwide, which is really exciting. So I got exposure to music, music education, like, like literally out of the womb. Um, <laughs> but my first, like my first instrument was the typical, it's time for piano lessons when you're in kindergarten. Um, and I, for some reason had this fixation of wanting to play the violin even though mm. no one in my family is an orchestral string player. Like my parents are both percussionists. My younger brother plays the saxophone. Like it, I don't know how this happened, but it did. And I was just so fixated on wanting to play the violin. So I picked up the violin in fourth grade. Um, and then summer going into my freshman year of college, um, I was in, I was part of a, an orchestra summer camp with the New Jersey Symphony and they pulled me aside during the seating auditions. They were like, have you ever considered playing the viola? And I was like, no, tell me more. And they were like, well, we can like switch you officially like this summer during the camp. And then like, you'll have more doors open to you as a violist than as a violinist. Um, and I'm tall in nature. So I, I'm 5'8". And they were like, you have the the body for it. <laughs> How like kind the, of them. <laughs> the long, but the more so like the, the long, long arms, arms oh, um, yeah. aspect of it. So I was like, sure. Oh, that's so and funny. I fell in love with the viola. Oh. Um, and then I've played it. I've played it ever since. And then I went to college. Um, I went to Ithaca to study um, integrated marketing communications. And then I minored in music. So I was part of the nice. viola studio um, so that I could keep my love for music and be able to play Um but also get more of a well-rounded education on the marketing and communication side than siloing myself into like a music business degree. Mm. So at that's what point where do you, it started. At what point do you feel like you knew that even minoring in music was a good fit for you? Oh. Um, oh, that's a really good question. 
I think because I I was so interested in going to a school that had the opportunity for me to focus in such a fantastic communications program. Um, I really, I, I always knew I wanted to work on the business side of the industry. I didn't want to be the performer and I didn't want to be um, an educator as much respect as I have for music educators out there. That is just not me. Um, Which is good to know ahead of time and not like go down that exactly. whole path. Absolutely. <laughs> Fair enough. Exactly. Um, so I was like, well, if I still want to keep involvement in music, minoring felt the right fit because, you know, you go into music school. I watched, I have so many friends who I was in music school with my best friend um, from college um, she was a vocal major and I just mm. watched her go through through it all. And I knew that I would be siloed into that world and not get the exposure um, mm. in other from other aspects of college that I was kind of craving at the time. So I knew yeah. I, I felt that the minor was more my speed. That makes total sense. That makes total sense. Well, and it's interesting, too, because a lot of a lot of music programs also don't offer minors. Right. So it's so nice that you had that opportunity, obviously, through Ithaca to, to do both. Uh-huh. But I'm also curious, as you're telling the story, I'm, I'm finding myself wondering, did seeing your parents work in the industry, I mean, obviously, it probably gave you that insight of like, I don't want to be a music educator because I see my mom doing it. But do you also feel like seeing your dad working on the business side of the industry was how you kind of landed on that interest and kind of Oh yeah, marrying for sure. all of your passions, if you will. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And my my parents were never like you have to do music for a career. Sure. They were like you you're gonna do music until you graduate high school, just because music education is so important to your mm-hmm. well rounded upbringing. Um, yeah. But my brother and I could do whatever we wanted, um, essentially. So, I. I knew that the business side, the business side sounded fun because it <laughs> it's behind the scenes and I like mm. being behind the scenes a little bit and making things come make I like to make things come to life that other people can like reap the rewards of that makes <laughs> sense or like see things come to life and be like oh I had my hand in that and that's gratifying and exciting for oh, me that's awesome um, that's awesome but wanting to forge my own path at the same time, knowing that my dad was already in the industry, like wanting, mm. I, it was really important to me. And then it was really important to my dad to make sure that I had my own path and my own journey and that I wasn't attached necessarily to him. That's admirable. I feel like sometimes I, I don't want to like overgeneralize, overgeneralize, yikes. But <laughs> I think sometimes when we're looking at, family members and friends and we're trying to make recommendations it's easy to just say here are the answers like here's what worked for me here's how I did this follow my lead and so for your dad to even just give that separation and it sounds like in a a really kind and gentle way kind of shove you out of the nest and say yeah I've done this but also like don't do what I did I'll I'll give you advice but you're on your own here like it's your career I think that's really admirable too my first my first NAMM show um, I was a sophomore in college and I had the opportunity to work as an intern on their PR team. So I would come out strictly for the week and mm. I would get to work with the NAM PR team and work the show and help them out with whatever they needed. And awesome. my dad was like, well, I'm just going to throw you into the pond 
And if you swim, great. If you sw- if you sink, it's okay. Yeah. But like now you know. Yes. Um, yes. So I was just so grateful to have that opportunity, and I swam. I that I walked onto that show floor for the first time, and I was like, "This is my home." <laughs> I have arrived. <laughs> I have arrived. What's going on? Like, <laughs> it just okay. felt right. For those that haven't been to NAM, and, and I think this is an important side note. This is how Natalie and I met, obviously. Yes. So Natalie is um, very involved in NAM, not only because of your your industry experience and the fact that you're working in the industry, and obviously you're using that for networking and to grow your career, but also you are one of the hosts of the Women of NAM podcast, Revoice yes. in the Future. So I want to back up to that very first NAM show. And if someone has not been to NAM before, is trying to figure out like what the whole thing is about, even from an educator or performer standpoint, why was that first show so impactful for you? Like, what did you walk away with or what were your impressions? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little deep on this one because yeah. I have no shame. Um, <laughs> we love it. <laughs> um, I grew so I grew up in a, in, a, in a town that was very focused on sports, mm. and I felt like the odd one out all the time because I wasn't. I'm not athletic. Like I, I played softball. I got hit in the face with the softball, and I like knew that like that was the end of my journey. Like I oh, just no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but music always felt music was right. And there was no Mm. plan B. Like I always knew music was for me that that was the path that I was going to take. Um, And because I wasn't surrounded necessarily in my initial upbringing with people who appreciated music and understood the industry as not the industry per se, but just music as a whole and had this similar interest once I got to the NAMM show, I realized that I was surrounded by everyone there. I was there for the same interest. They all mm. loved music. They all appreciated and were impacted on some level by the power of music. So I felt like I found my people in that sense. And like when I went to college, like I was in the music school and I was surrounded by people who all felt the same way. But when you leave college, you got to find your people that way as well. So, yeah. um, that was the initial like, oh, okay, I've like I found my place. Um, but the Nam show, as it was described to me growing up, was very different than what I actually <laughs> experienced. Because mm. you can describe to someone like, oh, it's the center of the industry, it's the world's largest trade trade show for music products, and it's a chance to see what's new in the industry. It's the chance to learn from experts in their sub in in their subject matters and um it's a week long just like surrounded and filled with music but when you actually show up there it's a little bit of a oh my goodness what's happening (laughs) and where do i start um so i was fortunate i i'm really grateful and lucky to have been able to kind of work on the back side of the show so i kind of i had that perspective from nam's point of view of like this is the Mm -hmm. nam show and and all that and then when i finally got my first job in the industry i saw it from a different lens so i felt like i was in a very unique position but um 
if you are going to the NAMM show for the first time, just bring shoes that are really comfortable and drink water and listen to your body and um, plan your days because yeah. it's going to be really overwhelming if you walk in and you're like, oh my God, there's so many things for me to choose from. Where do I start? Well, it's wild too because I, I remember that first, I mean, okay, so you grew up with parents in the industry. So you'd heard about it, I'm sure a lot of times from your dad, I'm sure your dad was there on an ongoing basis. So you're, you're hearing yeah, all that input and, and the back end of everything. But then, you know, I, I guess my experience was working in an industry, like working in the industry in a retailer in high school, I was hearing a lot from the owners of that business, what the show was. You show up for the first time though. And like everything is plastered with the NAMM show logo, the hotel lobbies. There's there's stages in the lobbies of the hotel for performances in the evening. That seemed just ridiculous to me. Like, how could this be that big? Like, how could it be that massive? And it, what's interesting is when you're in school, your little slice of the industry is so narrow. Yeah, for sure. And then you get to an event like this and you see a bigger picture. And I think it's so, I don't know, motivating to, to see what's happening, but also it can be a little terrifying and a little like, Oh yeah. Overstimulating at some point too. (laughs) Like, yes, bring comfy shoes. (laughs) It's going to be a long day, but they're going to be really good days. Yeah. And just like, know your limits. Like you don't have to do everything. Yeah. That's why you keep, that's why people keep coming back because they can't do everything and they always are going to learn something while they're there. Someone told me that they stopped going to the NAMM show because they didn't learn anything. And I said, you're doing it wrong. What are you doing? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. That's kind of mind blowing. If you saw the, the Slack channel that Isaac and I had from our notes, from all the sessions that we go to, cause we divide and conquer. Cause like, there's just, there's so much, there's that so much. Sometimes I want to be in three places and I can't. So I'm like, okay, what's recorded so I can watch it back. And then where do I want to like go live and we kind of divide it up that way. But the, the notes that we take are copious and intensive because there's just so much information from people that know so many things. It's, it's shocking. We could spend a whole time on, on oh, yeah. the NAMM show and, and certainly we can keep talking about it, but I also want to talk about your career as it stands post-college and kind of what's happened since, because you have had some recent changes. So after yeah. school, we're in communications and we're we're ready to go. We got the music minor. What the heck happened next? Like how did how did you land that first job in the industry? Um well I also I just want to preface this by saying when I did the major when I majored in communications and marketing and minored in music, all of my internships, I was very specific mm. to do it in the music industry. So brilliant. Okay. I worked for music nonprofits, I worked for a classical music um, PR agency, which I learned very quickly that that was not the side of the industry that I wanted to work in. I worked for Alfred Music, um, so I had I had my feet and my hands in a lot of different baskets. Um, and when I got out of college, I couldn't get a job to save my life, mm. and it was driving me crazy. I applied to everything that you could think of in the music industry. I even went over to the recording side and was applying to Warner Music and Universal Music. And I had so many interviews and the doors just kept slamming itself in Mm. front of my face. And it was really discouraging because I felt at, at that moment, I felt like I made a mistake for not majoring in music business. 
because I felt like they were going to be looking more at the people who studied music business and not someone who was getting yeah. a little crafty and creative. Um, so I ended up um, going back to the NAMM show in January 2018. And the PR team brought me back on to work part-time. Um, and then the rest of the time I was able to do informational interviews. So mm. I set up so many different interviews with different people. And um, I sat with Peter Giles, who owns his own PR agency. Um, and at the time he was doing all of the Yamaha PR. So him and I have had a really great relationship. And he was like, Natalie, I can bring you on as a freelancer and you can do some freelance work on the Yamaha side um, with banded orchestra and help with that a mm. um, couple days a week. And I said, absolutely. Like sign me up. Like I was willing to take everything and anything, but also at the same time, uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. And then I met with um, Suzanne D'Addario Bruder, um, is the executive director of the of the Diderio Foundation. And I met with her just because she was a woman in the industry and I wanted to mm. pick her brain. And we had a really wonderful conversation. And then she said, well, give me your resume and I'm going to pass it along and see if there is something that is available. So she passed it along to the media director and they reached out after the show and said, we'd love to bring you in for an, a paid internship. Mm. And my ego... <laughs> at the time was like, I'm out of college. I've done all of these internships already. Like, do I really want to like set myself Another internship. up yeah. for that? Mm. But I had this freelance gig that I was also going to be starting. So I said, you know what? Your path isn't necessarily going to be straightforward. You might have to get a little crafty. So I took the interview and they offered it to me. And that's how I ended up at Diderio. And I, I was only interning with them part-time. So I was doing both. And then after three months, they said, we really want to bring you on full-time. But we, they couldn't hire me at the time as an mm. actual employee. So they asked me to become a full-time freelancer for them. Mm. And I said, sure, like, let's do it. And because it was a full-time job, it, I would be able to get through that door a little bit more. Um, and then finally at the end of 2018, they were like, we can bring you on full time now. Like this is you, this is the position that we're offering you. Um, and I came in as a public relations strategist and I was there for five and a half years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. That was a very recent change. You know yeah. what I, what I love about this story and part of why I was so excited for today <laughs> and, and, and why we're like jumping into NAM right away. I, it, I think it's something that someone who listens to this podcast hears me talk about pretty frequently is like the importance of going to events. And I specifically talk about NAM because it is the epicenter of the industry, but because it's such a big deal, there are a lot of trade shows. There are a lot of organizations and there's a lot of other conferences that you can go to, but NAM is one of the opportunities to really meet with the executive teams for all of these companies. Yeah. When we talk about like, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but if we're talking about music teacher conferences, the representatives of those brands that are coming are people who are working on the education side of those brands. And they are not, for the most part, the people that are making hiring decisions or the people that are 
you know, doing more of the, the big picture strategic work. So it's fun to be in a situation where you're meeting with those people and you have direct access to someone yeah. like Suzanne, who is running the whole kit and caboodle and has a lot more leverage and all of that. And it's an interesting situation too, because people are coming to that show knowing they may find employees there, knowing they may find some of those connections. It's such a clear networking spot versus like coming to a teacher's association where like, yeah, there can be some networking that happens, but a lot of what's happening is more pure education and opportunities for you to like, just learn more and bring it back to your students, your classroom. Yeah. And I was very specific that all of Mm. the conversations that I set up were informational because you don't want to be the person who's coming in with some sort of, they want some sort of transaction. Yeah. You need to build that connection and you need to build that relationship with someone because that's when people are going to give you the time of day. If you if you send a cold yeah. email to someone like I'm looking for a job, can I talk to you about that? They're going to be like, no. But if I, I genuinely want, genuinely want to hear about your journey and how you got to yes. where you are and any advice that you have for me as someone who's trying to get their foot in the door, then absolutely I will talk to you. I I just love how you're phrasing all this. I mean, first of all, it, it resonates completely. And we talk a lot about like, okay, if you're going to reach out to a, a a teacher, for example, if you're a private music instructor, try to reach out to a school music program, like offer help before you ask for help. And that's that's what networking is. Like at its core, we're trying to build these authentic relationships where you are learning someone's story. You are just genuinely trying to approach it from a like, get to know you standpoint. Obviously, it it worked out really well for you. But when you're talking about informational interviews, what do you think in your ask, other than the fact that you weren't asking for a job right away, but what else do you think made that kind of communication stand out or work so well and be so effective? Oh, that's a good question. I think I just, I... I genuinely put it on them as I want to get to know Mm. you. I want to know your story, um, what you do in the industry. And as just as food for thought for me, as I'm trying to navigate Mm. and figure out where in the industry I see myself. Um, And I think that's really important is because it's showing that you care about them. And also if, if there's a company that you've really really admire like I went to several companies that I said hi I really admire the work that you do I would really I I would love to just have a conversation with you about the company about your role how you got Mm -hmm. to where you are if it has a personal connection to you that is also a great way to leverage that because it shows that you're genuinely passionate about the work that they're putting out yes yeah well and and those asks that you're making too then it's not like can i have an hour of your time i'm sure a lot of these conversations initially were like can i have 10 to 15 minutes of your yeah. time right like very brief low low brain power <laughs> low commitment like can we just chat for 15 so i can get a better picture of of your journey and i'm sure it informed you too as you were talking to those people the things you don't want to do like you hear someone's career story and you're like yeah that's not my vibe not and my that's vibe. That's also beneficial. And then you're not wasting their time going through an interview process either for a job that was never going to be a fit. And then the other thing too, the key thing I think also from that is after you have that conversation with them, the follow-up email is so important. I just, I Mm. remember I would have like lists of people and key points from the conversation that I had with them so that I could reference it in my thank you emails. And the week (sighs) 
after the show because I'm not going to do it right then and there. I, I need a time to like sit with my thoughts and reflect on everything. But then the week after I was sitting there sending out all these emails, just mm. saying like, thank you so much. I really valued X, Y, and Z from what we talked about and just, and make it really personal. Don't make it. And, and then don't make it like a cookie cutter response either, because people, I'm I'm going to know people are going to mm-hmm. know that it's just, Oh, you just copy and paste it and change the company name and blah, 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 blah. So make it personal. And just show that you really care and value the time that they gave you. How did you choose who to reach out to? Was it based solely on their position or the company that they were working for? Or were there other factors in that kind of like list building of who you wanted to chat with? I was at a little bit of an advantage knowing that during my first few years attending the NAM show, I was working the show. But then when I wasn't working the show, I was following my dad around and he was introducing me to a bunch of people. So I was already making those connections early on. Mm-hmm. And I started with them. Like I, I would go back to those people that I've already met with. And then I would also, I, I looked at the list of exhibitors and I looked at what I was interested in and I would find people in the roles that I had interest in learning more about to talk with them but i also like talked with a lot of executives too that i've happened to have met Hmm. um throughout my time there and also when i spoke with peter like he has his own company who is doing work for who was doing work for a major company in the industry so that was also really unique to me because it was giving me another side of that part of the industry without actually working for Yamaha, which funny enough, I'm now working for Yamaha. <laughs> so it's full just circle. full circle moment. <laughs> All right. Other than obviously it led to a job, but what else do you felt like you took away from those conversations? I, I know I'm kind of digging into this. But I'm just, I'm so excited about it because as we're talking about networking, you're just giving such good clear steps and examples on how to make those things happen. So I feel like I'm just like digging deeper and deeper and deeper because this is something that I feel is ambiguous when we say like, go network to find a job. What does that mean? (laughs) What do you mean go network to find a job? So what else did you walk away from with, with those conversations? Honestly, a lot of the conversations that I had and some of the people that I spoke to, I gave a, I gave a mix if I can remember mm-hmm. correctly, because that was a long time ago. Um, it was a mix of different people. But the ones that I was, the people that I was really excited to speak to were the women in the positions that they were in, because you walked around the NAMM show and it was, it's, it's male dominated. And that's not mm-hmm. a secret. Um, and as a woman starting off her career, it, was really important for me to make sure that I had conversations with mm. women in various positions. So I remember speaking with, like, obviously I spoke with Suzanne, but I also sat down and I spoke with, um, she doesn't work there anymore, but Amani Duncan, like she worked for um, Martin Guitar at the time. Um, and she lived in New Jersey. And I was like, hello. <laughs> 
we're practically neighbors. We're neighbors. <laughs> Please talk to me. And I still, like to this day, Kelly, I still talk to Imani. Like I, on mm. LinkedIn, like she has a career change. I'm like, congratulations. This is amazing. Yeah. And she's like, thank you, Natalie. That means so much. So those connections, they go a long way. They do. Well, and, and especially when we're talking, I, I think about networking based on common experiences and interests, part of why Revoice in the Future and Women of NAM exist and part of why it feels more exciting sometimes to, to ask other women for their advice is because you know you're going to get a response and you're going to get information that is a little bit more geared to an experience that you may have had or may have in the future. Obviously, we can get that information on some level from everyone, but because it's a more unique experience, because right. it is a more male-dominated industry, you're just getting a little bit more specific advice. Do you feel like some of those conversations about what it was like to be a woman in the industry or what it is like to be a woman in the industry shaped how you approached your job applications or how you approached even starting your career because you felt like you had a little more insight and confidence there? Yes and no. I, okay. I, I definitely didn't I, I didn't harp on the fact when I applied yes. for those jobs. And if you think about it, the opportunity presented itself to me because I had a conversation. Mm-hmm. So I didn't necessarily I never applied for the internship at Diderio and I never applied for the freelance job with um Giles Communications. They just had the faith and trust that, to open that door for me which i i'm forever grateful for that um but i i always kept it like i always had that little chip on my shoulder that was just Mm. like keep your eye out like be careful just um and same thing like i live in new york city and it's the the chip on your shoulder of like know your surroundings like understanding that I think played a big role. Yeah. Um, but I also had this really unique experience that I totally f- forgot about when at my first NAMM show, I volunteered for the She Rocks Awards, um, which mm-hmm. happened at the NAMM show. And that was hosted by the Women's International Music Network and Laura Whitmore. And I was connected to her really early on. And she was a huge um, mentor of mine. Mm in that regard um and i reached out to her a couple of times and i actually worked an event with her in new york so i did some work with her on the side and that's awesome she's the one really who kind of like opened my eyes to that side of the industry and why it's super important to give women that the opportunity to have their voices heard in a seat at the table mm-hmm. so no it didn't go into like my job app i didn't use that to my advantage with my job applications but um i definitely use the advantage of i've already had industry experience like i know the industry from a unique lens to help me kind of get to where i am when you are looking at opportunities Mm -hmm. and you're looking at companies and cultures that you might want to align with or even in, in freelance work like places that you're excited to work with and projects you're excited to work with do you ever feel like the team or the culture around that company, perhaps that they do have a, a team that has more women represented, is an ex- a more exciting opportunity for you if you're trying to like weigh those options to decide where to go next. 
for me in this current moment of like where I am now, 100%. Mm. Um, I decided to make this jump and this big life change because of Lisa McDonald. I just want that. Like she knows it. I know it. Um, but we, love I, Lisa. we love Lisa. <laughs> um i met if someone's listening and they don't know who lisa is do you want to give like a little yeah sidestep there lisa's incredible she i met lisa three years ago at the beginning of the pandemic um when i came up with this idea to start this podcast which i'm sure we're going to dive into that later on um but she is the director of vertical marketing at yamaha and um she was the one who came up with the name for the first iteration of the podcast um and everyone was like you just have to like talk to her and get to know her and we just had this instant bond and she was Mm -hmm. the second guest on the podcast ever um and we just grew this bond together and um then i did the women of nam women of nam leadership summit and um then she reached out saying that there was an opportunity and if I was interested and the opportunity to work with her, like hands down, so excited about. And then also knowing that she's built an incredible team with my actual direct boss, Heather. um, And then Melissa, who is the other girl in this photo when I was out in California, she's on my team as well. Um, It just, it felt really exciting. And it was a, it's a moment in, my career where I felt like I needed more, I need more Mm. female mentorship hands-on, like in my actual career, um, in the day-to-day, like I'm so grateful and thankful for all the women mentors that I've had in my life. But right now in this moment, it just felt right. And something that I had to do for myself. And I'm so excited. (laughs) It's it's just really thrilling. Well, exciting enough that you're like moving across the country for the job and everything too. Like like you're going coast to coast. It's wild. (laughs) Well, and and I think when we're talking about these opportunities, I mean, obviously thrilled for you. Like you are so deserving. You work so hard. Thank you. You do a lot for the industry. So to see you get these opportunities is just amazing and so well-deserved. But I also am so excited about that shift for you because it's such a... I mean, again, you're working with mentors that you're excited about, but you're working with mentors that you've known for a long time. And that is a result of the networking and the work that you've done. Like not yeah. only did you meet Lisa and and network originally with her, but you've built this relationship over time and you yeah. stayed in contact. And obviously that's putting opportunities in your lap. When we talk about organizations like Women of NAM or even NAM as a whole, I think mm-hmm. that's the beauty of having those connections and like having those regular meetings where we're coming back every single year, you see your friends, you see your connections and colleagues, and you can actually keep those relationships, you know, alive and in closer contact. Do you agree? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, completely. But the, the creation of women of NAM was so needed mm-hmm. and it's opened doors for so many people in the industry, just yeah. the connections and the friends that I have made through this organization it's it's been life it's been truly life-changing and Mm -hmm. it that's a word that i know gets thrown around a lot but i yeah i i truly feel that because i'm i go to the nam show now and i like i turn the corner and i see someone that i know and it gets and it gets me really excited because 
it's just, it's continuing to grow the bond. And then I also look back and one of my best friends in the industry, um, Stephanie Lamont, who does the podcast with me, our dads are really good friends. Um, And I've watched them and the friendships that they've made in the industry. So now that I'm in this position and I'm, I'm kind of living that journey as well with Stephanie and we're go we're, but we're doing our own thing. We're going our own way and own path, but at the same time, we're building these amazing relationships. It's just been really, really cool to witness. And then as I talk with her dad and my dad, they're, they just sit there and they're like, we feel like we're looking through a window. It's just like a, like, it's a really, really cool thing to experience. That's amazing. Well, and it's so beautiful to have these opportunities where a work event is not just a work event. Like you're not going to the conference just to learn and just to find opportunities, but you really do have these connections that, I mean, I I think life-changing is totally fair because you are currently shifting your entire life plan and and location and everything as a result of those connections so it it quite literally is life-changing and it's it's exciting to have that opportunity on on an annual basis it's so funny too like i i always said like i would move to california if the opportunity presented itself that Mm -hmm. i couldn't get in new york and i was saying that for years and now it's happening (laughs) so it's like be careful what you wish for but i'm excited it's a new chapter and yeah, I don't know. I don't know where life's going to take me. And that's kind of exciting and very terrifying at the same time. <laughs> so at Yamaha, what is your new job title? So I'm the senior segment marketing specialist for education. And amazing. I work um, directly to provide resources that educators need to succeed in their jobs in teaching music to children and growing the next generation of music makers, essentially. Um, which is awesome. And it like fills my, it fill mm. it fuels my soul in the many different buckets that like I've, I've wanted because I've been personally impacted by music education. I'm surrounded by music education advocacy. It's, I was advocating for music when I was in high school because they were trying to cut the program. I just, it like, mm. I, it's in my it's in my blood to do something like this. And I'm very mission and advocacy driven just in general. So to be able to put my marketing expertise with my love for advocating for music education and being in the music industry, it's just everything is wrapped up in a nice little present right now. Oh, that's amazing. I'm curious too, when we're talking about music industry jobs that are are education adjacent. I think sometimes it might be hard to picture what that day-to-day looks like. So obviously you're very new. It's only been a few weeks, but so far, so far. what does a what does a day in Natalie's work life look like? Um I'm still figuring that out. <laughs> <laughs> um but um truth be told, it is right what what day is it? It's November 29th. It I'm in the heart of MEA season right now. So yeah. my my life right now is planning our presence at Midwest and the Gen Jazz Education Network Conference and then um, TMEA, all of those big educator-focused shows. Um, my team works on kind of leading the charge of what that looks like 
to reach our target audience. Mm. So that's by day to day right now, which is kind of cool because it's also a little bit of a like event planning. Yeah. To an extent without having to do the nitty nitty gritty of event planning, which is kind of fun. It's fun. I'm excited because I get to travel. And then when I'm at these shows, like that's where I thrive. Like you throw me in, mm. you throw me into the ring and I'm talking to people and I'm just, I, I, I'm jazzed to be there. Pun <laughs> totally intended. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it, it, it's cool too in, in this position because you obviously have been so heavily impacted in your career so far by conferences and events as we're talking about NAM repetitively that seeing you be able to impact that I mean I'm sure that feels full circle oh, too yeah. yeah okay oh yeah oh that's amazing yeah are there things in your position right now that you so far have been like pleasantly surprised by maybe work that you weren't necessarily anticipating or expecting that has been more of a highlight honestly the event stuff like just mm. being able to work the events or I haven't even been to an event yet, but I'm excited that in three weeks, I'm going to go to Chicago for the first time to attend Midwest for the first time and see what that show is like, because I know so many people who have gone to Midwest um, and I've watched friends when I was in college, go out to Midwest because Ithaca would send um, mm. some of the music ed students out there. Um, so that's been a pleasant surprise of just being able to tap into that side of my skill set that I didn't think that I would actually be utilizing on a day-to-day. Um, okay. So uh, right now you're working remotely and the, the plan is to obviously transition in person. What challenges have you experienced so far when I'm oh. assuming your team is all in person and you're the the one that's remote and kind of zooming in for everything so far? It's a mix actually. Oh, um, but I, oh, I will say that starting a job remotely is... Mm so much harder than I thought it was going to be because in COVID I, I still had a job and I, right. I was furloughed at the, t- I was furloughed for part of it. And then I came back and I still had all of these connections and these relationships with my colleagues and the people that I worked with. So being able to like have that was made the transition of working remotely easier, but coming to a job where, yeah, I'm lucky and fortunate that I knew Lisa and Heather. Um, but it was very lonely and quiet the first few days, like that mm. first week. I just, I remember calling my coworker who like my work bestie. Um, and I just said, I wish I could just talk to you right now. Cause like, it's just like, I felt like I didn't have like the relationship or bond with anyone to just be like, hi, how's your day going? Like, look at this funny thing that I found or just build that connection. Um, the, the meme Slack channel doesn't the quite meme exist yet. Sh- yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then they said they flew me out two weeks later and that changed mm everything because I was able to make that connection in person. I was able to establish the beginnings of those relationships in person. And now it's been, it's been better. I mean, it's still a work in progress, but um, yeah, I was, I was very overwhelmed when I first started. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to lie about that. Like that's, that was very, very real. And it's only going to get better because I'm going to be going to these shows I'm going to be meeting more people in person. And then when I come out in May, the people that I've already met and already built those relationships with, it's going to be like, oh my God, yeah, you're here. You'll settle in a lot faster. It'll be nice to have that 
for like sure. Establish connection and bond. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm curious right now, since you've been working remotely for a while and, and you obviously are in that routine, albeit it's obviously changing right now. What are some like like productivity hacks or like work for home, like tools and resources that have really helped you over the last couple of years? Mm. I was so good during COVID. I had a, I had a routine down packed because I, and I still do, but, um, I, I struggle with it now. I don't know why I'm struggling with it. Maybe it's cause I just don't get a ton of natural light in this apartment that that might be, um, slowing the routine down. But um, in an ideal world, I would get up and I would immediately like do a yoga Pilates class virtually, or if now maybe starting to go out and do that in person. Um, And just that would set the tone for the day for me. Um, And yoga truly saved my life during COVID because I knew I needed something that I can rely on to be mm. um, like fix, like just something for me to rely on to keep my day going. Um, I try really hard to make sure that I step outside at lunch. It's really difficult sometimes to do that, or I feel guilty for doing that, but mm. I need the sunshine and I need the ability to like feel the fresh air on my face. Um, and then at the end of the day, like learning to turn off everything work-related, I try really hard to stand by that. Um, I'm a little bit more lax starting this new job because I am like dealing with people who work West Coast hours versus East Coast hours. Um, So I don't silence those notifications. I keep an eye on them. And if there's something that I need to like handle, like I can do that. But also my team is like, Natalie, it's late. (laughs) Don't turn off the computer. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Because you've given me permission, I'm going to go ahead and do that. Thank you. (laughs) But I think setting boundaries is really important and definitely setting boundaries for yourself to make sure that you are putting yourself first and taking care of yourself is also really important. Um, I would love to be one of those girls who gets up at six o'clock in the morning and does the routine and all that stuff. And I try and it's not, I'm not the most successful at it now, but, um, I try. <laughs> not a, not a 6am girly. That's fair. Especially when your team is on the West coast and like you are bleeding things over a little bit yeah. into the evening. That That's really tough when the schedule's different too. Do you feel talking about taking care of yourself? Do you feel like some of the passion projects that you have in addition to your work, I'm thinking like the podcast, for example, do you feel like that helps to balance a little bit of the work and the enjoyment that you have for what you're impacting in the industry and on a larger picture? Absolutely. I've, the podcast became, it's a passion project, but it also was such a blessing in disguise for my Mm. own sanity because when, so I came up with the idea March, 2020, literally right as the world was getting a little fuzzy. And then a couple of days later I got furloughed and I was just like this 
opportunity was put into my lap of, okay, I have the time that I can actually develop something and put mm. all the back end work to building it when I had all this time. Um, so then when I did go back to work, I could just kind of fit it in mm. and I would have already established a routine and a schedule and how, when I would work on things and all that. Um, but the, also the conversations that I would have with women, like some of the conversations were conversations I didn't even expect or know that I needed to have until I actually had those interviews. And there's one very specific um, interview that I did. Um, and I always, I will always bring her up because <laughs> I, I, it truly, like, it was one of those like aha moments, but, um, Kit Culpepper, um, she is unfortunately no longer with us. Um, but I did my interview with her at, like 7 30 PM on a Wednesday mm. after like working really late on budgets for the next year. And I was just drained and swamped. And she just comes on to this interview and is her, her personality is, just eats you alive. Like it's infectious. And she's just like, you matter. The work you do matters. And she also described that her career was the feather from Forrest Gump and that it always landed where it needed to land. And in that moment, huh. I was like, that feather needed to land in my lap. Like her presence needed to be with me at that time oh my gosh it's one of the best it, it's literally it is my favorite interview probably because she's just such she was such an amazing person and I feel her presence mm. with me sometimes so um I always believe that I have the conversations that I need to have at the right moment and that's been so healing and rewarding because it inspires mm. me to keep going well, especially obviously 2020 was kind of wild, but you were also in this industry where you're coming to the music industry and, and working as a professional for a retailer manufacturer. That means you're not performing. It means you're not on the education side or like actively producing that music yourself as your full-time career. And I think sometimes when musicians in, in high school or in college or even in their early career are looking at that potential path, like I could go work for a company like Yamaha, but that means I'm giving up playing full-time or it means I'm giving up these other things that I enjoy. I would love for you to speak to how some of these passion projects maybe are keeping that part of your passion for the music part of the music industry alive and fresh for you when you're obviously talking about music all day but now you get to go home and talk about music more and you're doing that by choice <laughs> I know it, like it could be draining but it feels like that's something that's just adding to your story and your excitement oh yeah it absolutely okay. does it and I said it earlier too like music was there was there was no plan b like mm. Everyone knew that I was into music. I, I won a high school superlative for like most musical. It, it's just, it, it. That's it, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about it the other day as I was like reading through your questions. I was like, oh yeah, I did win that. Wow. Like <laughs> full circle. Musician um, first. Be, yeah. Yeah. Definitely musician first. Love it. Um, I will say. I always kept the, I've always kept the musician alive in me, even if that mm. doesn't mean that I'm not, even if that means that I'm not playing in public, I'm starting to get 
into that a little bit more. Um, but I am like wholeheartedly a bedroom musician. You see me, my creative expression in my music comes out on my TikTok now because like I get to duet with people who live like in other parts of the country and I get to kind of throw my own spin on different things. Like that's, that's what I do. I would love to be more involved from like a singer, guitar, piano perspective. And I'm, that's one of the things that I'm, that's one of the goals that I have for when I move out to California is establishing mm -hmm. more of those connections. Cause I feel like New York is a little bit too overwhelming of a city for me to like find that fair place. Yeah. Fair. Also with the viola, I battled and I continue to battle with tendonitis in my right arm. And I got that when I was in high school. Um, but that didn't stop me. Um, it just shifted how I learned to practice and play. Hmm. Um, and before COVID, I was playing in a string quartet for Christmas Eve at a church up the street from my parents' house. And I just like two hours a day, but two hours for that night, I would just play Christmas music. And that was exciting. And I go and I experience live music. And I think that also adds to the fuel the fuel for me is mm. seeing how how listening to live music impacts me, but also how it impacts them as the musicians on that stage. Um yeah. I think seeing and also on that too, seeing going to concerts right after some of those COVID protocol mandates were lifted is an experience that we'll mm. all, we'll never see again just the the joy and admiration that people had for the arts in that particular moment like i went to my birthday was um wicked's opening night since the shutdown and it was oh just gosh. like thunderous standing ovations oh. even just when the guy says Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wicked, like on the loudspeaker and asking them to silence the people to silence their cell phones. It was just everyone like erupted and just like, yeah, we're here. But you also knew that you were literally in a room with people who all loved the same thing and mm. they were there for the same reason. So those moments are really inspirational to me and they keep me going with what I'm doing. But my goal is to grow more confidence in myself so that I can perform live and find more musicians that I can collaborate with because that's something that I loved. Also adding to that, when I was in college, yes, I was a viola minor and I played in orchestras and I did all of that and the, the grueling practice hours. When I finished my minor, um, I still needed to have some sort of relationship with music. Um, because that was my healing time. That was, that was the time that I could just mm. let everything out. So my senior year of, of college, I, at night, I would drive to the music school and I would find a practice room and I would sit and just play the piano and I would sing and I would cover stuff and I would, I would do things that like brought me joy, but I would sit there for hours. And mm. I just remember when I left college and I didn't have access to those practice rooms anymore, it really affected me. 
because I just felt like I didn't have that escape. And you can't really find that escape in the city either because right. if you want to rent a practice room, it's going to cost you like I don't even I don't I don't even want to guess how much it's going to cost you, but yeah. it's money that like these are big. It's not money that I was willing to shelve out um at the time. Um so I know exactly what I'm going to be investing in when I get to California because I just I'm going to need it, you know. <laughs> I, I think what's so fun about this story too, and and I really appreciate you sharing all this. And mm-hmm. I'm picturing my my students who are at that pivotal point in their life where they're trying to figure out where they want to go and what they want to do. And I I think sometimes from like a classical music major viewpoint, sometimes the industry feels so much more narrow that when students are saying, I don't know if I want to go into music, like from a performance standpoint or an education standpoint, that then means that they just don't go into music, period. And they, maybe they play a little bit in school. I mean, I have a few students right now who are in their undergraduate programs and are playing in like community orchestras or in the the ensembles for non-majors in their in their programs, which is amazing and it's a great outlet to have. But also this idea and and it, maybe the theme of your career story has been knowing that you want to work in the industry even though that might not mean performance and education there there is just so much more opportunity there. As you feel like you exercise this part of you and you you beat a lot of performers and educators, obviously, in the work that you're doing increasingly, especially now that you're working with Yamaha, do you feel like that's part of your mission? Like, do you feel like that's something that you are called to share or help them better articulate in the resources that you're sharing, for example, with educators through Yamaha? Yeah. I, I that was a very so. loaded question, by the way. Very, I'm sorry. That was a very, very loaded question. <laughs> I don't know. I just served that one right up. I didn't. Sorry about that. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out the best way to to answer this. I feel yeah. like I've been put in a really unique position um, being a young professional in the industry mm. who has this platform. I'm, I want to use it for good. Yeah. And I want to use it to inspire the next generation of professionals in the industry. I want people to want to be in this industry who want to Mm. be as passionate as I am or as some of the other people that I share this life with um to be excited about doing this work and so I'm very fortunate that I have the ability to do that and I, I I don't take that lightly I I'm very strategic on the things that I align myself with, yeah. the opportunities that present itself to me because I I want to give back to the larger industry so that I can inspire more people to come in. Um do you yeah. do you feel like the industry is bigger than most people would realize? Absolutely. Yeah. It's big. And it's really small. So your reputation, yeah. it really does matter. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I've met so many amazing people in the industry from ass- like different sides of doing different things, especially in the pro audio world, which is not my world. Um, but it, that's Stephanie's world and that's Julia's world. 
Um, so I've met a lot of amazing people um, there that I probably wouldn't have met otherwise. Mm. And it just, it opens my eyes to everything that's out there. So that if, if someone comes up to me and they're like, let's say we're at the NAMM show and someone who's in college comes up to me and they're like, hi, I'm really interested. And my interests align with pro audio or I don't know, like band instrument. Like it could be whatever. I want to be able to point them in the direction to someone who could serve them well. It, I might not be the person and that's totally okay, but I've built a network where I can pass people along to other people and say, no, you should talk to this person and make this connection with that person. And that is just going to help open that door to them more than they did before. If that makes sense. (laughs) It absolutely does. And especially when we're talking about students who are coming to it because they, they are just so interested in the music industry. There are also a lot of people, especially as we get into more executive levels that do not come from a musical background correct? and are working in the industry. And that's not, I'm not saying that as a negative, of course, but also selfishly, the musician in me is like, yeah, but what if that job could have gone to a musician? Like what if more people could stay in the industry just because they were aware of potential opportunities and jobs? Yeah. And so, I mean, that's why I, it's so exciting to talk to you about your, your path because you knew early on how big the industry was and kind of carved out your little piece. Accordingly, I, I really, I, I really urge higher education or organizations, colleges, universities to invest in that for their students, especially in the music school. I think it is so important that when students come in to music school, it's they're not only presented with performance education. Yep. Um. SUNY Potsdam has a music products track in their music business program, which is amazing. And they've sent so many people to the NAM show to intern at the show mm. for manufacturers. Um, and I think that is experience that will live with you forever. Um, so I really, 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 I, I truly believe that it's so important that music students are presented with everything that they could possibly do, because I don't think they know that they could work for their favorite guitar company and do marketing or do sales or product development for those products. Like, how cool is that? You're a lifelong guitar player and you get to work for a guitar company and help them build the next generation of guitars <laughs> i think on my episode with dave gearhart we were talking about this because he works obviously for yamaha and education yeah. too and is like doing you know started in the product development side and that was his whole thing was i'm a percussionist first and i landed in this position where i i get to influence things which means that obviously the products that i'm playing i like because i helped with that process it, it is a really interesting you know part of that manufacturing that these companies want the musician insight. Are these conversations that you have at in in all of your work, in all of your career, are these conversations that are happening in your positions or with colleagues? Like what would a musician think or how do musicians view this and how can we get oh, more absolutely. of that insight? Absolutely. If there are a target market, we're talk we're constantly talking about yeah. it because we want to serve the musician. We want to find 
the so like we want to serve the musician and what they're looking for and the needs that they might not have at the forefront. And I feel like that goes without saying for any company in the music products industry. But also from my perspective too, now that I'm in this new role, it's what does the educator need? Yeah. What is going to keep the educator inspired to do their work? Because their job is not easy. And we're in this really interesting time right now where um, like teacher retention is not yeah. great. <laughs> so what can we do? statement of the century. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so what, so like, what can we do to make that easier? Yeah. Well, I think that's, I mean, I'm obviously asking again, very loaded questions, but I want, I want to paint that picture because for performers, for educators, if we are super, super candid about it, it is in Yamaha's best interest to act in the musician's best interest because that is literally how they make their money. So these companies that have a vested interest in your success care a lot yeah, <laughs> and will invest their time, energy, their resources, their, their uh, people into researching that and into improving that, that system. So going to work for a major company, like going to work for your favorite guitar company might not be the quote unquote sellout. It might be your way to impact on a grander scale, education and performance to give back into the music community on, uh, on a, on a bigger uh, stage, but also with a lot more resources yeah. than what we can do individually. Absolutely. What are some other, as we're kind of maybe coming to a close here, what are some other things outside of your work right now that you're doing that you're excited about? Maybe even non-music, like other things that are keeping you going right now or like trying to find that work-life balance. What does that look like? I'm constantly going to concerts. Um, I, I love, I love New York with my whole heart. Um, so I just love being out in the city and just exploring mm. and I'm a big art person just as well so I'm always at a museum looking at I'm at the Met the Met is my happy place um so I'm I'm constantly bustling around um the move is taking a lot of my time right now and a lot of my energy so trying to figure out what that looks like which is very exciting but very daunting at the same time um but honestly a lot of my time outside of work is the podcast. Mm -hmm. And then I serve on the Nam Young Professionals Board of Directors. So um, on their I'm the chair of the marketing committee. So working on that. And then I also help my dad with his business a little bit too, and promoting the work that he does and the data that is published on arts education across the country. So I'm never not working. Yeah. Which is not Maybe it's not the greatest thing in the world, but um, I do try to really, I, I really do work really hard to balance it out as much as I can because I feel like I'm fighting the good fight, mm. you know? Absolutely. And sometimes it's like taking those steps when you have the energy is yeah. part of it too. Like if, if you have the energy and the drive now to make that impact, leaning in so that you get as much done as fast as possible. Sometimes it just feels good too. Like that Absolutely. momentum can feel more fulfilling. Yep. 
Oh, that's amazing. You know, you asked me in the Revoice in the Future uh, podcast what my fixations were. So I will turn that one back on you. Do you oh have any other fixations? <laughs> um, I'm always, well, currently I'm fixated on my Spotify wrapped because that just dropped today. Oh, God. Um, okay. Care, care to share? What were what were the revelations from Spotify rap? Um, I mean, Lizzie McAlpine is my number one listen to artist, which <sighs> is not a shock whatsoever. I um, do adore her. She's the best. Um, but I get one for the podcast. Oh yeah, yes. And that I was watching it today, and I I got emotional. <laughs> You know, like you have those moments. I started this for a good reason. And every so often you have those days where you're reminded why you do what you do. Today was one of those days that I was reminded why I do what I do. Because it just keeps growing. And mm. it's because of the people who listen. You know, it's it's a very niche podcast it's for a niche market. But the people who are listening are truly dedicated to listening and i think that's really beautiful and i was reminded about that today that's amazing um so that was very exciting oh congratulations thank you thank you <laughs> i think thank you, you. posted on your instagram story i did see that i mean i did because yeah. it was there was like hundreds of percentage of growth this year wasn't there it was 119 percent minutes created Wow. But a 57% growth in listeners and a That's 62% amazing. growth in streams. That is outstanding. Holy yeah. cow. Congratulations. Wild. Thank you. That's Other huge. fixations. Um, I'm always fixated on Gilmore Girls. That is my like tried and true. What am I listening? What am I watching to make me feel better? Um, and then suits. I'm in the suits craze right now. Oh my God. I'm a big oh my TV God. person. I'm more of a TV buff than I am a movie buff. Hmm. Because I feel like I can I can connect with the characters on a deeper level with a TV show than I can in a movie. That's fair. Like that long-term relationship oh, building. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Suits does such a good job, too, because it is however many ungodly amount of episodes long. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm on <laughs> season eight lot. now. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> It's coming to an end. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. I think there's a new spinoff, right? Is there? Jessica Gitter. I think there is. Someone oh. picked it up. Yeah. Oh. So I think I think Jessica gets her own show or something. <gasps> go Jessica. I love that. But then when the show's I over, think, I just go back to Gilmore that. Girls. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh my God. Natalie, it is always just an absolute oh, joy to talk with you. Thank you and so much. I mean, it was, we're talking about the networking and the relationships at a NAM. This is something that in the last year and two has just been really fruitful and, and wonderful to have is this friendship that we're building. And I, I really appreciate your time and how much you shared today. And Of course. I'm, I am an open book to an extent. <laughs> <laughs> but I really hope that I, I'm really open to sharing this part of my journey because it, I want to inspire other people. So mm. I hope that someone can resonate from something that I've said today that can help them better their career. We, we talked about so many networking skills and strategies and like the why and the how behind it. And I, I think that is also an under discussed 
part of education, business education in general, but especially like music business and music school. It's just something that's not covered. So I really appreciate you sharing how you landed (laughs) in the positions that you've landed and and how your feather has come to rest in the places that it has, because it (laughs) it definitely has been a a whirlwind recently for you, but you laid the groundwork so long ago to, to get here. Thank you. And I think sometimes we need those reminders that what you're doing today really does matter long term. That means so much to me. Thank you. And I just also want to okay. like state this so that people are listening when they're listening. I am not an expert in networking. It still terrifies me. So like, d- don't think that I'm not shaking in my shoes when I'm going up to network to someone. It takes a lot of courage and a yeah. lot of practice. Um, so I am no master at it mm. at all. <laughs> I saw a TikTok recently that... Someone like Stitch and they were talking about um, phrases that you hear that really resonate with you. And she was telling the story that her sister, they were at the swimming pool and they were kids and her sister was standing on the diving board saying like, I'm afraid, I don't want to jump. I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And like really saying it loudly and everyone could hear. And this older woman swam up and said, oh, honey, we know you're scared, but you're going to do it anyway. And that that. that really sat with her. And that is something I've been repeating in like the last month since I heard it to all of our clients and things. It's like, yes, when you're getting outside of your comfort zone, it is scary, but it's scary for good reasons. And you're absolutely going to decide to do it anyway. And then on, on the backside, it feels so good when you look back and say, gosh, remember how terrified I was when I made that that jump? Yeah. I mean, obviously, it is scary to reach out to people and say, can I have 15 minutes of your time? Or I want to ask you about your career. I want to start a podcast or I want to take another career step. What's the but worst that they're going to say? Anyway. Like, I'm so sorry. I don't have the time. But like. Yeah. They're not mad at you when they say no. that. Also just a, a piece of advice that I'll leave everyone with is the best advice that I ever got was someone can open, someone can crack and open that door for you and make that introduction and that connection for you. But it's up to you to close it. Mm. So that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I appreciate you. Thank you so much I for sharing everything. Always a joy. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening too. This is just, this was fabulous, Natalie. Thank you. Again. Yay. I'm so happy. <laughs> Thanks for having me.